How many of you are alive today? Um, I got a simple message for you today. And um, we, we started this series last year that we wanted to sort of bring back occasionally. It's kind of like an infinite series. <laughs> I was talking to a few friends. I was actually talking to Andrea about this. And I was like, I was like, I just don't really, I was like, I can't. I was like, I'm struck. I had this idea for this series, and I was like, I'm struggling to find some structure to it. I was like, and it feels like, like I kind of want to just touch on it. And she was like, What if you just make it a floating series that we just keep in for as long as we want to? And I was like, Okay, that makes sense. And so we started this series called The Art of Loving Well. And the reason we we started the series is that I was I was thinking about um, how oftentimes we can be talking about things that are um, you know, theoretical or theological, and and um, and I think all, uh, those things matter. Theology does matter. Doctrine matters. Um, but but I feel like oftentimes we need to bring things back to the to the pra- practicality and application of love. And so one day I was I shared this question with you. One day I was sitting with the Lord and I asked the Lord this question: When is my worship genuine? And how many of you have ever asked a question like this? And I heard the Lord say, like, instantly, like, and it's not something I, I would have contrived. I heard Him say, when you shepherd my people. When you shepherd my people. And that's not what I would have expected, but my mind pretty quickly was drawn to Peter's interaction with Jesus. Which I want to read to you. John 21, 15-17, it says... So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? You can imagine Jesus asking you this question. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So here is Jesus having a meal with Peter, after having been resurrected, before ascending to heaven, it's like, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's like, you know, in his like, pause, going to do eternity thing, he's like, alright, i got to have that meal with Peter. Got to have this breakfast. He's having this meal with him, and he says to him, Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I think it's definitely a question that I've heard God ask me. Do you love me? Maybe in not those exact words, maybe you've heard that question as well from God. Do you love me? How many of you have ever had like a pause in your life? You're going like just everything is just motoring on like... And you have a stop 
like quick, hey, I'm here. Are you with me? Do you love me? I mean, we've had this like sort of question from God. And I think it's like, I don't know, you could go with me on this. I think it's the kind of question that just as Jesus was persistent with Peter, I feel like it's the kind of question that sort of persists in our heart. Sometimes when I'm annoyed, when I'm tired, when I'm honored, or when I'm shamed, I I hear something like the words that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It's not like, there's no judgment in it. It's not like, hey, are you, uh, I mean, what's wrong with you? It's just like a, it's like blinking light. Like, hey, I'm over here. You know, my kids are really good at getting my attention. Like, they, they, they are not shy about trying to get my attention. Like, dad, 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 we gotta go play. And I think Jesus is persistent in getting our attention. But Jesus does go further than the question. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Now here's my take. I haven't thought about it this way before. This is my take. How many of you know, like at the end of Matthew, you have this great commission to make disciples. At the end of Mark, you have this great commission to go preach the gospel, do miracles. Um, I think this is John's great commission. I've never thought about it like this, but John is like more enigmatic. He's more like, he has a lot more um, theology and like this love stuff baked into his gospel than the rest of the folks. And here, here is, we're at the last chapter before Jesus is about to send. And he, he tells this story with Peter like almost at, like at the very end of the movie. Like, hey, like, if you can imagine John writing the gospel, he's like, you know what I need to get in right at the end is this interaction. And so I kind of think about it like John's great commission. Like, he invites us in to a life of tending to the needs of others over the needs of our own lives. We are called... We are all called, not just those who are quote-unquote pastors, we are all called to feed a sheep. Amen? I want want to continue in verse 18. Jesus, most assuredly I say to you, he's speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying By what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. So Peter doesn't realize this yet. But what Jesus is saying to him is that as you're going to feed my sheep, as you're going to do this, as you're going to love me in this expression, it will cost you everything. If you're going to love me, you're going to feed my sheep. And if you're going to feed my sheep, it will cost you everything. That's what Jesus is telling him when he's commissioning him to feed his sheep. It makes me think of what Jesus says about this widow in Luke 21. 
It says, and he looked and up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you about this poor widow, has put, more, put in more than all. For all of these gave out of their abundance. They have put offerings in for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. You see, the widow is acknowledged by Jesus um, not for the material value of her gift, but by the totality of her gift. By the complete surrenderedness of her gift. You know, sometimes what we do is that we look to care for others, to shepherd others, to feed others, in sort of like the excess of our life. We look to love with the margin of our life, and if we don't have enough margin, well, we've got to care for ourselves. I used to want to start a business, and I, I, my, dad was a, my dad's been a very successful business person. I, I love just the whole idea of business. I'm very fascinated by business. But I used to want to start a business that would give me back all of my time. I could do this business in like 10 hours a week. And it would give me back all of my time so that I could use the rest of my time to do ministry. And then I realized that God wanted that part of my life to be a ministry too. You see, it's a little easier to like go, okay, over here I'm going to take care of myself. And then right here, I'm going to take care of others. But this commission costs us everything. If we are to love Jesus, to feed His sheep, there's no part of our life that gets to be the like Jordan margin. That's not to say that God doesn't care for us. It's not to say that He doesn't give us rest. It's not to say that He doesn't give us moments to, to refresh. Rest is built into the very fabric of the way God wired but it means that the totality of our lives is, sur is surrendered to Jesus. Now God is the one who created the Sabbath. And when Jesus is found healing, working on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are mad at Him, what does He say? He says the, the, the man is not for the Sabbath, but Sabbath is for man. Because God can even use in the moments of our rest, He can use us to pour out for others. To be a shepherd of others means to be a true lover of Jesus means it will cost us everything. Now I believe that God has called all of us to varying degrees to be shepherding the lives of others. Uh, recently, you don't know why I'm sitting, it's because I hurt my knee playing basketball. I, there's some things you want to do in your mid-30s that I'm, I'm young, but I'm not as young as I was when I was 20. Um, I got a, <laughs> that's literally true, <laughs> profound statement. Um, I got a 
a friend of mine who's very, who I trust very much gave me a prophetic word a few months ago. And the word was that he said, God is going to give your church the gift of pastoring. And what he meant by that was, he said, God, yes, God's made you a pastor, but he's going to make your church a community that pastors people. And so guess what? All of you get in on this. Even if this is your first time here, all of you get in on this. Like God, God is giving our community, I believe, a gift to shepherd the lives of others. A gift to like look at this little interaction with Jesus and Peter and go, yes, Lord, if I love you, I want to give my life feeding your sheep, even if it costs me everything. And a shepherd, you know, you, you, you meet in people who do amazing things. I've met a lot of people in my life who were talented people, successful people, just things I, I can't even describe, like just incredible people. And I, while great people are rare, what's even more rare is somebody who, who just cares for your own life. One of my favorite Proverbs that I've shared many times is, is Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, the counsel, or another translation says, the ways of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And I love this passage because I think it gets at a heart of what a shepherd is. A shepherd is not someone who just instructs others, but draws out of God's well of goodness that has already been put within them. Like if you imagine every person as, as this like unique um, well or facet of God's nature that He handcrafted. Like there's something particular about them that expresses God in a way that no other person can. If you start to see people, what 2 Corinthians 5 that we read says that we no longer see people by the flesh, but we see people according to Christ. If we start to look at people as some unique thing that we can draw from, this unique well of beauty and goodness and truth that we can draw from, it changes the way we interact with people. God has given, I believe, everyone here the capacity to shepherd the heart of others in Christ. My, my very first mentor, Bob Mason, I got to go on mission trips with him. And man, like, I was like 19, you know, 20, and I'd be preaching to people, hundreds of pastors on these, you know, I'm like, why am I doing this? I probably shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I shouldn't have been doing it. I don't know. But I actually don't really remember much of anything that he taught me as a mentor. You know what I remember? I'm just being honest. I remember that he believed in me. I remember that he cared for me and that he like he would say things about me that I didn't even know about me. And what it made me want to do was step into the fullness of that. Because to him, he was describing as if it was already like, I'm a red oak that's 
300 feet tall. You know, he was describing it, describing me to me as if I was already something, which I wasn't. But it made me want to step into that. He, he, he believed in me and he told me very frequently why he believed in me. Everyone say this with me. Say, I am a shepherd. God has called me to lead others with his love. Okay, another story. So Thursday I was playing basketball. That's a fair point. Hot minute of basketball. We were supposed to play a scrimmage against another team. Toby knows. They have some trash talk beef, beef with Toby, so this was real stuff, you know. Yeah, p- pause the NBA playoffs. <laughs> I don't know any of the guys, so I don't care. I just love basketball, and I'm there. We're doing a warm-up game, and like halfway through the warm-up game, I go up, get a rebound, and I, you know, like you do things, everything you do is sort of like with sports is reaction, and you don't, you don't like decide. It's like all flow. And so I do something that probably at 35 I shouldn't do, which is I jump up there and I try to stop on a dime, you know, from a full speed jump to pass the ball to somebody. And as soon as I do the stop on the dime, I just, I just fall over, like crumple, <laughs> and ball goes out of bounds. I was like, oh, that didn't feel good. And anyway, I get up, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk this off. I'm going to walk this off. I'm good. About two minutes later, I'm like, eh, uh, this is not, I'm not walking this off. And so I, I finally, I finally um, convinced myself, you can't play today. We start there. And then as time was going on, I was like, this might be a week or so. Uh, and then I, the next day, when I could barely walk, I was like, "Okay, this is yeah, this is this is." But Colby was playing with us, and Colby called me the next day, and he was like, "Hey, man, I just want to check on your knee, check on how you are doing, and pray for you." And I was like, "So he prayed for me. He said, God, I pray that you would heal Jordan's knee and remove any anxiety from surgery that he might be thinking about, or." whatever it is, and I remember telling Colby this, I remember getting to the end of that call and feeling like infinitely encouraged. And it was just something to me, like, you know, for somebody that, you know, that that I've poured into was pouring into me. And here's the key, though. He did not tell me anything I didn't already know. He didn't call me and give me some revelation or insight from the Bible like, oh, dang, you know what? <laughs> I didn't think about that with my knee. He just, he just cared and prayed for me. A few years ago, I remember when we made this, the, the wild transition that we made a few years ago towards the house church stuff. I remember being really nervous before I was supposed to share, and I laid down 
and I was, Grace was like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like she could tell. And I just told her that I was really nervous that I had some really hard things to say and it was going to be difficult. And I was, and she, she like, we were in our old house and she put her, her arm around me and pulled me like into her neck and just like told me she loved me and just like let me lay, I'm like, my kid who's probably eight, seven, just like took me in like as if I were her child <laughs> and just loved me because everyone has a capacity to shepherd. You see, your, your great like act of love and service of God is not, it is not, I know we've said this like 8,000 times in the last three years, it is not your act of hero, heroism. But it's your love for others and care of those in a way that costs you everything. That is your service to God. That is your love to God. Boil it down to, to Peter's interaction right here. If you love me, care for my people. And maybe part of it is, is like going to those people in Galveston to say, you know what? You've already been set free. I love the widow's story because it only takes two mites. It does not take some incredible gift. It does not take like a treasury of awesomeness. I remember hearing recently of, of, of this man who gave a $500 million donation to a nonprofit, And I thought to myself, what? Like, what in my life could I ever do that, was, that even was like... But the woman is not acknowledged for her many resources. She's acknowledged for the surrender. It only takes two mites to be a good shepherd, guys. You don't have to be a master psychologist to love somebody. You don't have to pastor for the rest of your life to learn people. You don't have to have all the gifting, the talking, the Bible knowledge, the wisdom to sit down and love people. You can have two mites of love gift. And if you give it all, you're found faithful. It's more about the faithfulness of Christ than the excess that we have. I don't really have a good transition into this next part. But I've made a point that in my art of loving well, I wanted to always give something practical that you could walk away with. Just, I think life application can be vastly overdone. Make everything about application. But for this moment, I'm going to give you something that's applicable. Um, I want to tell you, because like, sometimes people ask, like, how do you end up in these conversations with people? 
And like, that's just like not my gifting. And please, like, there's not any, there's no gift shortage that you have to love people, okay? Like you don't, like, there aren't like the good people, people good at love and the people, you know, I mean, you can be bad at love because you choose to be, but every one of you has the capacity to love because God wired you that way. So this is not a gift thing. But let me tell you something like super practical. I know this is like feels like left turn from where from the flow we're in. But I want to tell you something super practical. And two stories. One of them I've told. Um, one of them I haven't. But um, one of them, you guys know James and Tracy, who are friends. And um, like they they're big into keto like the diet and they they actually have a keto business and and uh, before I ever met them I'm just retelling the story because I think it's helpful before I ever met them I was one day sitting with my oh I can't believe I'm gonna admit this but I was one day sitting with my wife getting a pedicure the only pedicure I've ever gotten and yeah he's like right yeah um I was reading an article I'd do what? Fair point. Um, um, I was reading this article, and I'd never heard of the keto diet, but I was reading this article about the South African doctor who sort of was like one of the sort of founding thinkers around the ketogenic diet. And what drove him into this was that his, his uh, father ran many marathons, was very in shape, and died of a diabetes heart attack in his late 50s. And so it struck him to realize that there had to be something more to living healthy than exercise. Their diet had to play a significant role. And, and so he uh, sort of went on this journey, ended up in this sort of low-carb, keto base land. And, and, um, and so we met James and Tracy, our dear friends at, at the school. And um, Actually, a couple months later, I'll tell this one bit because it's just fun to tell. Like I was, I I was like, okay, I'm going to do the keto diet. I don't know. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I don't know why I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And a couple months later, I was meeting a friend, and this wasn't like as popular at this point. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about doing a diet. And he's a prophetic person, and he said, you're going to do the keto diet. I was like, yes. How did you know that? And he was like, I saw keto written over your forehead. Take that however you want to take it. And a little while later, very short time later, we met them and um, found out that he was interested in that. And so we went to have this, uh, we went to watch a rugby game together. In New Zealand, I'd never watched a rugby game. I was like, sure, let's go watch some rugby. And so we were talking and I said, why? This is the application. Everybody say, why are you doing this? <laughs> This is this helpful tip. Um, so why are you doing this? Like, what's driving building this business? And he goes, well, my dad died of a diabetes heart attack when he was in his 50s. And I was like, whoa. It was like instantly I was like, okay, God, you're here. Because I, I read this, heard this story already. Not the same guy, but I just I heard the story. And he began to share his heart like, within a time or two of knowing each other, he began to share his heart. And I probably connected, we probably connected in a deeper way than most people would have connected 
in a short period of time. Um, a couple months ago, I was helping my dad make an investment into an opportunity, a business opportunity. And there was going to be more investors than there was going to be allotted investment. And, and I asked this guy the same question, why are you doing this? And he began to tell me the story about his dad not having retirement and that he wanted to build this technology that would actually help people financially plan better. And long and short of it is we got the opportunity to invest in him. And when I, when I talked to him later, he was telling me why he turned down some people and kept some people. And he said, you know what? You asked me why this business was important to me. And I will tell you, this is just the practical application for you. I will tell you that if you want to be a good shepherd, if you want to be one who draws out of people, if, you, if, they're, if there's something they're doing or there's the way they're parenting or or the business, or like, they're running. I don't care what it is. Like, you notice something about them, and you just ask them the simple question, like, what's driving this? Why are you doing this? You will often find the well open up to you. And so that's just like a super simple, practical thing that like, I use that question a lot, but it's a practical thing that opens up people's hearts in a way that is, that, that some other question might not. And so the series is Art of Loving Well. Like, there can be the, the intent of love, which is, I think that we have to start with the intent. That's the most important thing. But there's also an art of it, too. Like, learning how to love people well is important. So, amen? So here's, here's the thing, is I, I want us to st stand and pray. And I'm going to pray that God is going to help us to be greater shepherds of people's lives. If you could stand. I'm going to gimp around while we pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who love, to be those who see others, who be those who are fixed not on just giving our opinions, but fixed on the hearts of others that you would make us those who are drawer-outers, that are lovers in the way that we listen to people, the way we ask questions of people, the way that we inquire of people. God, you would help us to see that somebody who is inquisitive about us and interested in us makes us feel so loved. And that you would make us inquisitive in our love for others. And I pray every person that you would just right now, you would impart and that they would receive a gift of shepherding others. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to have our fathers stand up. And it is Father's Day. I want to bless fathers. If you could stand around those that are fathers and pray for them. Just look for them. Go, I want a hand on every father. Dave's over here alone. Somebody find Dave. Fair. I, uh, I'll get in in a minute. Um, 
1 Corinthians 4.15-16 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus for the gospel. This is not me talking, this is Paul. I'm not imploring my fatherhood over you. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Um, it, it, it's important to note that there's a difference between somebody who gives instruction and a, somebody who's a father. Countless guides, few fathers. And so I have three, three sort of encouragements for fathers, and then I want to bless fathers. First of all is that our instruction cannot exceed our love. Oftentimes my instruction with my kids exceeds my love, and I need to recorrect. I need some instruction. <laughs> the second thing is that our discipline should not exceed our enjoyment of those that we father. I shared this last week, and, and you guys uh, of dedication, and I think we are most like God when we enjoy our kids. And the third thing is specific, but our material stewardship cannot exceed our stewardship of His presence. We often feel most responsible for protecting the resources that our family has. And our material stewardship cannot ex exceed our stewardship of His presence. I don't want my kids to think, man, Dad was great pastor, great with money or business, but, but didn't see me stewarding His presence. Those are my, that's my encouragement to you today. Our instruction cannot exceed our love. Our discipline should not exceed our enjoyment. And our material stewardship should not exceed our stewardship of His presence. Um, but I want to bless you too because there, there's almost nothing in society right now that's being more attacked than, than the role of a father. Um, I, I am, you know, like so tired of hearing about the patriarchy, I can't tell you. Um, like God loves fathers and He's a father. And He wants to bless fathers. And so... I want you to extend your hands to fathers today and just bless them. Lord, we just pray. We thank you. And we res restore and bring honor to the role of fathers in community, in the lives of the kids. And we pray that you would expand the love and tenderness and mercy and patience and grace in them, God. And I pray that you would give them freedom to not just be those who are responsible to bear burdens, but to be those who, who enjoy every moment they have with those that, that, that love them so much, God. We pray for kids, God. We pray that, that we would see that when we stand before God, you will not ask us what we built or what we earned or what we accomplished. We will most assuredly stand before you for how we fathered. And so Lord, I pray that you would stamp this deep into our hearts as, as core to what we are called to do. We are fathers. And we just honor these fathers. And we bless them with everything. If you could just speak some word of blessing over them right now. We bless them with everything in us, God. We bless them with mercy and peace and grace and just and just power and wisdom to be the dads that you've called them to be. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.
I just, I just want you to know, Jordan, I don't think of you as a father. I don't even, often don't, don't think of you as a, as like, even like a, an older brother or something like that, because I'm, I'm older than you, but, but in sort of my effort to kind of like, I don't know, bump against the church hierarchy that I grew up with, that in off, like, was often unhealthy and often just left people feeling, you know, manipulated or hurt or whatever. Um, I haven't ever thrown off the fact that I look up to you. And I'm thankful, um, not just for your friendship, but also for the way that you lead this community. Um, I'm thankful that when we have a staff meeting and we sit down, um, it's a round table and you don't hold things over people's heads. You don't push people into things. And um, I'm thankful that you care about what we think, about what all of us think, what we're all going through. And more than anything, you have always been a connector to me, whether you were connecting me to a resource or to someone else. Um, and in that way, you've empowered many of us in this room, you've encouraged us and um, challenged us, and you're a blessing to this place, and I'm speaking for all of us, I think, I hope, otherwise you probably would be somewhere else right now. Um, love you, and you really are a father to this house, and thank you. Let's, um, if you want to come up and lay hands on him, or just stretch your hands out, I'll give you a minute. Lord, I thank you for this man. I thank you for Jordan. I thank you that he's opened the windows of his life for us to peer in and find fault in things he does and, and not hide. He doesn't hide things. Even in the way he tells stories that illustrate his points, it's often, sometimes it's moments of failure or hindsight, and I just thank you that he is transparent with us. I thank you that in his friendship he's transparent. I thank you that he always is looking to connect, to empower, to encourage. Lord, moving into this year, or for the into the second half of this year, I mean, I pray that you would just release just a greater anointing and grace over his life to really embody your presence in all that he does. I thank you that there's no separation anymore in him between the secular and the sacred, between business and ministry. Um, but I, I pray that in every situation, he would just embody more fully who you are as a father. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen.